Well, I was once arrested in Yemen and I do have myself to blame. I kind of crossed the border illegally. <laughs> Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. Another fascinating guest today. And it's funny how I find these people. I really don't know, but you see, when the universe knows what you're looking for, it serves you, the people, and they just come turn up on my laptop when I find them. And this one today is quite special because I live in Cyprus. He has a Greek name. So of course I immediately noticed Ari Mitsidis. I thought, who on earth is that? And then I started reading. And then I read that he is the world's most traveled person and he has actually been to all the 193 countries that are recognized by the United Nations. Not so many people have done that. But then I also subscribed to his website. He is the founder of Nomad Mania. And that's a place where you can spend a week on until you have seen everything. So let's find out more. Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys, Harry Mitsidis. Thank you very much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Really, I'm looking forward to this. So am I. And let's just start right away. Where does Harry Mitidis come from? Because the Greek name is, I mean, it's obvious you are somehow of Greek origin. Well, I'm more of, I'm more than just of Greek origin. I actually grew up in Athens. So yeah, I'm half Greek. Uh, my father was born in Athens uh, before the Second World War. He is of Pontiac origin. So his parents were from uh, Samsunda, currently Samsun. So that half is accounted for. The other half is a bit more complicated. My mother was born in Cape Town in South Africa, and she is of Polish background. Uh, and I was born in London, and I currently live in the UK. Uh, I consider myself entirely bilingual, although I think English is my first language. Uh, I use it much more nowadays. So I don't know, where do I come from? Um, planet Earth is the best answer. I think that is the best, uh, should be the best answer for all of us, because if we all came from planet Earth, there wouldn't, we would have a lot less problems with each other. You know, there would be a lot less, um, maybe less greed and less racism, but that's another story. Maybe we'll get to that later on. But my question is usually my first question that I ask the people, when were you on a plane for the first time and do you remember? Well, I don't remember it because it was when I was 40 days old. So uh, I was born in the UK in February 1972 on Valentine's Day. And according to what my mother has told me, uh, we flew to Athens on April 4th of the same year. Uh, so yeah, 40 days and obviously I have no recollection of that one, but yeah. Was it the 40 days, you know, like in the, the Greeks or, or here in Cyprus as well, people wait 40 days until they actually allow the children to go outside. <laughs> so was it the first I, I, outing to go to the airport? <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure that my my mother really planned it that way. I think it's just how it uh, how it happened, really. Yeah. Funny, yeah. very funny, because it is a thing. It still, it still is. You know, that some people don't take their kids outside until they're 40 days old. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I got many walks in Regent's Park and stuff before I was 40 days old. 
so, you know, in, in the little pram and stuff. But yeah, yeah. By the time I was 40 days old, I had already visited my second country, which was Greece. So, you know, I suppose that set the tone for what was to follow. <laughs> you know, I'm from Switzerland. My kids were born here in Cyprus. And OK, they were a little older, but uh, their first trip obviously was to go to Switzerland and meet the other side of the family. That's what people like us do. We go and introduce our kids to the Indeed, indeed, yes. So then you grew up in in the UK. You went to school in the UK. I grew up in Athens. Yeah. Uh, uh, My whole childhood. And in fact, yeah, my uh, first degree was in Athens. But obviously there was a lot of travel involved, not only to the UK where my grandparents were, but also because I would say my parents were avid travelers. Now, in the 70s and early 80s, obviously, travel was not what it is today. But for their means and for the time, I think we did quite a few trips. So I very clearly remember um, a trip to Spain when I was five, then another trip to Italy when I was six. Uh, I mean, we didn't go that far. But anyway, I was based in Athens until I was 21. Yeah. Okay, that's quite uh, that's quite significant. Actually, growing up um, in Greece, recollection of your t- teenage years would would be in Greece, would be in Athens. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what has happened with me is that I would definitely say that in the first half of my life, I was Greek. You know, and I think the international part was not really very pronounced. But then later on, when I started traveling, and then of course when I did move away. Uh, I think the more international slash uh, British part, you know, came came to the surface. So, um, I mean, now, obviously, I am very proud to be uh, half Greek. And when I'm in Greece, I, I fit in and I have friends there. But um, I think I hesitate to say I'm Greek now because uh, I don't think my character and personality really match the stereotype of what Greek is, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I think that's another thing that is really changing in the world, isn't it? The, the, the stereotypes are changing. We are becoming a melting, you know, every place is becoming a melting pot, really. People's mentalities are changing. And um, I think it's still, being Greek is still very beautiful. Oh, absolutely. Oh, really? It is. I, I mean, I wish I were more Greek. Uh, you know, I wish I were less well organized, to be honest, <laughs> because I think I'm really very, very organized. And, and that makes me, you know, an outlier in Greece. Uh, I do wish I were more spontaneous, perhaps sometimes. Uh, and I am I am rather introverted. So, I mean, none of that really goes with our idea of what Greeks are but yeah. yeah but I think being organized is a good thing and I think be having traveled to 193 countries is quite extroverted if you ask me I mean how did oh, it well, start how, how you did, do it you know <laughs> when did you actually realize that you were doing what you're doing because you probably you're not a country a country counter it's not like you started traveling and thinking I'm going to visit every country in the world no well not initially obviously I mean I as I said I I had done quite a few countries at a younger age with my parents. Uh, then, you know, when I was a student, I did some more, but obviously there was no conscious plan there. Um, I don't think there's a moment when you say, now I'm going to do them all. I think you start, you know, at one point, I remember um, 
I looked at the map of Europe and I thought, geez, I only have about eight countries in Europe I hadn't visited. So I thought, well, why don't I do them all? I mean, that was manageable and easy. And I did, you know, and then I thought, well, you know, Uzbekistan sounds really interesting. And I mean, this was 2001. Not many people had even heard of those places then. And, you know, I I found myself at around 90 or 100 countries. And I had always wanted to visit Afghanistan ever since I was a child. I had some fascination with that. So as soon as I could, I did. And I mean, Afghanistan was dangerous. It was a no-go zone. And I went there. And I think when I did, then I thought, you know what? I've come to such a difficult place. I'm already halfway through all the countries in the world. So at this point, yes, I am going to aim for them all. So I think I was about 30 or 31 then. And it took me five years and I was done. You know, I I admit I did them way too fast. And I feel guilty about that, <laughs> which is why yeah, I found it no man made. You can always you can always go back, can't you? And you know, funny enough, I've actually been to Afghanistan as well. Wow, well, what yeah. did you think of it? <laughs> because I was a tour guide for eleven years, and I did a trekking tour, which was uh, North Pakistan and Afghanistan, and I thought it was just absolutely beautiful. Oh, it's marvelous! Yeah. I mean, people often ask me this question, what is your favorite country? And I really don't like answering that because it it sort of obliterates all the ones not mentioned. And every country is beautiful in its own way. Uh, but I will say that Afghanistan is sort of really mystical, magical. It's like completely out of this world. It's really sad that it's so dangerous. And uh, well, I'm not sure it's that dangerous now, to be honest. But you know that it's been off the radar for more than 40 years. Because the I would say that of all the places I've been to, the mix of people there is unique. You know, you could be blonde and you could be Asian looking and you're Afghan, you know, and that is amazing. Yeah. yeah and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful example of being able to coexist, really. Well, are they able? I mean, not anymore. I mean, all their you troubles, know. <laughs> troubles, you know, I mean, yes, I'm, unfortunately. But you see, this is something that I like to talk to people about because um, traveling, first of all, I believe that traveling makes you humble because it shows you how little you are, how how big the world is and how unimportant we are. And I think the other thing also is traveling makes you understand people. It helps, you know, and I, I read somewhere that you also speak a few languages. I think you do. I I destroy a few languages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I I I'm I mean I'm only fluent in English and Greek, and I would say I'm near fluent in Serbian. But apart from that, uh, I speak a few, but I wouldn't say uh, I'm I'm fluent. But yeah, yeah, I think language is an essential part of exploring. You get so much more when you can communicate with the people. And and I think that is why I really enjoy traveling in in Latin America, because um, I can really get by in Spanish. And uh, I love talking to, you know, a Peruvian taxi driver. You just learn so much about life when when you share, you know, 20 minutes talking about everything with that kind of person, with whom otherwise you have nothing in common. But somehow you find things in common with all these unlikely people um, on the road. And and you do need languages for that. 
Yeah, and I also think that you actually realize that you have a lot more in common than you thought you did when you start speaking to somebody because one thing that we all have in common is, you know, our need for our need for freedom, our need for peace, our need for for safety, for happiness, I would say. For happiness, you know, yes. We all we all just want to be happy, you know, and uh, no, you're very right. Uh, you know, I've I've had some nice conversations with uh, Pakistani tuk-tuk drivers, you know, and uh, luckily they do speak a little bit of English, so uh, so one can get the message across. And yeah, I mean, it's amazing how uh, after those conversations, I feel elated. You know, I feel so happy. I feel like I've approached a person with whom seemingly you know our lives are completely different, and yet we've managed to communicate. And then often I wonder, why can't I communicate with the neighbors in that way? You know, but there you go. Yeah. yeah. And do you believe like, you know, people now with the Internet, people organize everything in advance. You know, they already know where they're going to eat on the second day of their stay when they go to a country. What do you think about that? Because in the old days, we used to just buy a flight ticket and arrive somewhere, maybe have a couple of nights in a hotel. And then we took it as it came. But yeah, yeah. Well, I first of all, I, I don't like judging how people travel. I think everyone, well, first of all, travel is great. And, and I even don't judge people who don't like it. You know, I mean, everyone should live their life the way they choose and the way they want. So if someone wants to plan every single moment of their holiday, good for them. You know, I mean, and most people, let's face it, uh, travel because they need to rest you know, they have a very difficult life at home. Uh, and I completely respect that. Uh, now, for people like myself, planning is a different thing. I mean, I do usually plan the outline of my trips. I know when I'm arriving and when I'm leaving, more or less. But in terms of where exactly I'm going to go, uh, definitely, I have no idea where I'm going to eat. And, and quite often, I have no idea where I'm going to sleep. I think in that, um, I have learned to be extremely flexible uh, and anything goes, you know, I could sleep on the floor or I could sleep at a five star, you know, I, I'm happy with whatever comes up, you know, it's it's all right. Yeah. During all your trips, have you ever felt really unsafe? Have you ever come across a situation where you thought now I'm in danger or I'm, I'm you know, I'm in trouble? Well, I'm relatively cautious as a person, which means that if I'm going to a place I suspect will be dangerous, I take my precautions. So I wouldn't walk in the middle of a slum at night, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I was once arrested in Yemen and I do have myself to blame. I kind of crossed the border illegally. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I knew don't like I, that. <laughs> I knew what I was doing and I got what I deserved. I'm not sure I felt unsafe because... I was detained by the so-called good guys. I mean, they were representing the government, uh, whatever that means in Yemen. But but I, I have to say I felt very afraid because you don't really know who you're dealing with, uh, what they'll do with you. I mean, they could have kept me in a dungeon for weeks if they wanted to. So, you know, there were a few hours there where I felt very insecure. Um, unsafe? I don't think so. I think partially um, I'm also very accustomed to, um, I wouldn't say to danger, but, uh, but you know, when you travel to every country in the world, you don't expect 
the level of safety on anything to be like, you know, what it is in Europe or in the countries that we're more familiar with. So I think my standards have gotten so low that I no longer even observe dangers if they're all around me, you know. So uh, maybe I'm just oblivious to it. But I think that's the only attitude you can have if you really want to go for a walk in the middle of Lagos, you know. Otherwise, if you're afraid, then you just won't do it, you know, and then that's the end of it. Yeah, but I also believe that when you behave, like, respectfully, if you you, you just adjust to the situation, to the place you are. I don't usually, I never really felt unsafe myself. You know, it's, it's, the, it's respect, it's all about respect. It's respecting people, respecting customs. I completely agree. And I mean, it's also the attitude. I mean, if you, I mean, I always underdress anyway, you know, I, I never appear as someone who, uh, who could be a target for robbery. Uh, but it's also, you know, you need to uh, smile. And, and you know, if you do sense that the situation is dangerous, you can try to find uh, sort of local people who you think have a friendly demeanor and, and approach them and whatever. I've never had to do that. But in the back of my mind, I always think, okay, you know, uh, that person there sitting outside his little shop looks like someone I could go to if things do get, you know, difficult. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's the way to do it. I think being open uh, usually means that you'll be fine. Yeah, that is true. And I worked for quite a few years as an interpreter at the police. And I have uh, translated for people, foreign people who have been arrested. And I think one very, very important thing is when you have to do with the authorities is to not be arrogant, you know, to be... you know, to be or be kind of, you know, to show that Respect. you are. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think arrogance is one of the problems that some travelers have. Well, you know, there's all travelers come in all shapes and sizes. And uh, on Nomad Mania, we have such a large spectrum of people, you know, from some super rich billionaires to, you know, the ultimate backpacker, you know, because when you have an online community with 20,000 members, you're going to get everything. Um, And I think some of the people uh, do travel with preconceived ideas and, and not really able to get their own culture out of their skin when they're traveling somewhere else. You know, but if, if you're going to a place like Saudi Arabia, you cannot start championing women's rights. And, you know, it's just, it's just not what you, if, if, if that's what you want to do, then better don't even go. You know, you need to accept that the world is varied. People do have very different opinions and ideas of what is right. And, you know, what is right for me may not be right for someone in in Laos, you know, and that's just how it is. Yeah, Yeah. that is so true. But that goes back to respect again, doesn't it? It goes back to respecting other people's way of life. And uh, who says that mine is right? You know, whose is right anyway? I think we're all just human and here for a short while trying to do our best. No, and I mean, if you look at it from a happiness point of view, uh, I would argue that you know, the the poorer the person, the happier they are often, you know, uh, based on what I've seen in Africa and and just the joy. I mean, assuming that the people do have the basics to live with, but, you know, the joy uh, 
that that you often see in an in a you know nondescript African village is is usually much bigger than what you find in in European cities. So you know that then makes you think, well, what is happiness ultimately? And uh, you know, if progress or success is to be someone like me or someone Western, for example, then is that really it? Or maybe this is uh, a better path to happiness. You know, so I do think traveling uh, is partially a way of philosophizing and understanding uh, deep uh, existential questions and, uh, and observing them and trying to reach your own conclusion. Absolutely, absolutely. And respecting other people's conclusions. Let's talk a little bit about nomad mania, because that's how I found you. I don't know if I found you first and then nomad mania or the other way around, but I obviously set up an account. I still have a lot to fill out, but, you know, every country can be split up in in parts because, you know, some countries are really, really big. How does that work? Well, yes, as you said, you know, when, when I finished every country, I found myself in a little bit of a situation where it was like a letdown. You know, I thought, okay, I've done it. And what now? You know, uh, what will my travel aims be now? I am I am a person who always needs to have a sort of aim or an end result uh, rather than going with the flow completely. So then I thought, wait a minute, you know, the the world is huge. Countries come in all shapes and sizes. You can't say you've been to the States if you've only been to New York. You know, right. I mean, clearly there's much more there. And and I mean, even if you look at smaller countries, let's take Greece. I mean, have you really been to Greece if you've only seen Athens or if you've only seen Mykonos for that matter? So um, along with a couple of other travelers, because I'm definitely not taking sole credit for that, we, we spent quite a long time trying to create a rational system of dividing the world. And by rational, I mean looking at some objective measures and coming up with a kind of algorithm of how many pieces the world should have. Uh, And I mean, there's no perfect science here. We figured out that a good number would be around 1,200 because that is challenging enough but it's not unmanageable. You know, it's not 10,000 where you get completely lost and don't know what comes next. So given that ballpark number, we looked at a country's size, its population, its economic strength in the world, international tourist arrivals, which kind of looks at international appeal. And also we looked at cultural diversity. Uh, so, so that works well for African countries, which have a tribal background and there's many different peoples. And sort of we, we crunched numbers into that and came up with a sort of optimal number of divisions per country. And that's how we have now come up with a final division into 1,301 regions, as we call them. Um, And again, I mean, people sometimes argue, oh, you should change this. That's not the way to do it. But this is, I mean, there there can't be a perfect science here. We've done the best we can. Some countries are very quirky. You know, you have a country like Micronesia, which is extremely small in territory, but it's composed of four different 
island groupings, which are miles apart. So even though Micronesia is tiny, we've given it these four regions because it just makes sense. Then you have huge countries, obviously, where we cannot divide them into endless regions because it would just be too many. But anyway, that's the general philosophy, and it's a challenge. And obviously, nobody that we know of has done every part. Uh, but, you know, some people are getting there and uh, and that's the game if you want. But that's definitely not the only thing Nomad Mania is. Yeah, I think it's the game of, on the one hand, doing it, doing this, but also enjoying it. Because if you are just doing it to count, then it's not, then it's no fun. Uh, you know, as I said before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree. And again, there are a couple of people that I know that really seem to be doing it just to do it. I mean, again, I don't want to judge them. Everyone has their own motivations. But for me, travel always has to be fun. And yeah, there are a few countries which are more demanding and where you feel, oh God, I'm going to go into 45 degrees. And, you know, that's not fun in, you know, on its own. But ultimately, the end result should be that you're enjoying yourself. Yeah, otherwise I do it, yeah. Absolutely. So for whoever is listening, I think this is definitely worth having a look at that website, Nomad Mania, because it's fun. It's fun. And I'm going to spend some more time on it soon because I've been quite busy lately. But coming back to something else, the reason why I started my podcast is because during COVID, I'm I'm a traveler. I haven't been to every country, but I've been to many. And I feel like I really, really need to especially leave my island regularly. And uh, during COVID, I felt like I was missing a limb. So I thought if I cannot travel, at least I can talk about it. And I started most (laughs) memorable journeys. And uh, I did get a couple of trips in. I did manage to go to Switzerland and I, you know, but you were telling me that you managed to get a little more than, uh, than I did. I did. I did. Well, Okay. Well, first of all, I do want to say that as bad as COVID was, I think there were a few, you know, a few silver linings there. And I mean, here, your podcast is one of them, you know, and then a couple of other travelers I know actually wrote books during COVID, you know, which they would have probably never done. So, you know, one always has to try to find if there is any good side of something. Yes, I did travel quite a lot during COVID, even in the very first dark days. And I think that's simply because I would die if I didn't. I I don't want this to sound exaggerated, but literally uh, I spent 35 days in lockdown and every day I felt I was dying. Literally, (laughs) I couldn't breathe. And I remember I would spend each day, I mean, I would spend hours on flight radar looking at the planes going and there were almost all cargo flights because commercial flights had stalled. But, you know, every every plane that was going represented freedom. Uh, I'm like, okay, that is still flying, you know. Um, so I found it extremely hard uh, to be uh, contained and, and indoors. It was truly the, the worst challenge I've had to deal with. And then um, one of my friends is from Sweden. He's also a big traveler and he's uh, a doctor. Uh, So that was a very good coincidence. So I corresponded extensively with him 
and asked him, you know, to what extent if I came to Sweden, which was the only open country at the time, you know, what risks were there? How was the situation? And he kind of told me, you know what, things are really not that bad. Just come, you know, don't think of it too much. And I did. I I had to fly from London via Helsinki because there were no uh, direct flights. But luckily, there were those few flights. And, uh, And I spent 10 days in Sweden in April 2022, you know, when the whole of the rest of the world was locked down. And, you know, those days, you know, that scene in Titanic where he's like, I'm the king of the world, you know. Well, that's exactly how I felt when I landed in Stockholm, you know, and then I, I rented the car. And basically for 10 days, I was on my own with my car. You know, there was very little, if any, interaction with people, but hotels were open and the restaurants were open. And I mean, I I think I drove about 5,000 kilometers and that was just the affirmation of freedom. And I'm pretty sure I didn't cause anybody any danger, you know. Uh, um, and I do think one needs to travel responsibly. One always needs to think of the consequences of that. I do remember I I made a very rare, I don't really post much on Facebook, but at the time I did, and I got a lot of backlash. You know, people were saying, what are you doing? You know, this is completely irresponsible. And I was like, well, how is it irresponsible when it's literally me in a car? You know, okay, I check into the hotel mostly remotely. And, you know, if the Swedish government thinks it's safe for a receptionist to be there, then, well, you know, they, they judge it safe. So uh, I don't think I'm putting anyone in any danger. So, um, yeah, that was my first COVID trip. And then by that summer, some other countries had opened and uh, I did go back to Greece and uh, a few other trips. I went to Hungary. And then by by the end of the summer of 2020, more and more countries were opening. And then it became a bit of a game of seeing which one is open, where can you go now? But, you know, it was much more easy to maneuver and find places to go. So I was on the road, I would say, most of the time as usual. Only that it wasn't exotic trips. It was more within Europe, I would say. Good for you, because I was I post everything on Facebook and I was also judged because I traveled from Cyprus to Buenos Aires on the 11th of March, 2020. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. So you were and stuck there. Or? Three days, no, three days after I arrived, I heard that the country was going to close down like in two or three days. So I had to escape. I actually managed to get, get to Switzerland first. I managed to get a flight. It was a big drama. I got a flight to Switzerland. But while I was flying to Switzerland, I also found out that Cyprus had introduced a two weeks quarantine. So actually, I was one of the first people who spent two weeks in a hotel here upon arrival. But it was two good weeks of my life because nobody bothered me. (laughs) (laughs) I had time to think about my life. It was a beautiful Aldiana resort on the beach near Larnaca. I had a balcony. I had it was good weather because it was beginning of April. Could have, you know, life could be worse. Well, there, those are the silver linings. Yeah. You know, having said that, you know, uh, we in the travel community, we did lose a few people to COVID, you know, and that was uh, really sad. And and in fact, we lost uh, one guy with whom we had traveled a few weeks before, you know, and I noticed he 
wasn't wearing his mask properly and I told him off, you know, wear that mask. And yeah, yeah, I mean, one mustn't forget that. And hopefully we've learned a lesson and next time we'll be better prepared because it's not a question of if, it looks like it's just a question of when. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I think you mentioned, mentioned charging a few times and it's so um, unnecessary to charge. You know, people in Asia have been wearing masks for years, way before we started doing that because they were protecting each other. When you had a cold as an Asian person, you wear a mask so you don't pass yeah. it on to somebody else. It's yeah. got to do with, with, with respect again. Yeah, no, I agree. I I was I was very recently in Asia. I uh, I just came back actually, and yeah, it was it was a bit odd getting those masks out again because uh, <laughs> I haven't been using one much this year. But then, uh, let's say in Japan, um, yeah, I mean everyone wears a mask, and obviously you will too. Uh, and yeah, that seems to work fine. Yeah, so. but as you were saying, I mean, obviously what we are talking about here, of course, none of us was, you know, no intention was to put anybody ever in danger. You know, we were just living our lives and being a little weird about traveling. We needed a little more. And whoever wanted to stay home or still wants to stay stay home, I respect those people. You know, if they are not ready to face the world, it's totally fine. Well, I, I do really think that in general in life, making rules that apply to everyone is futile because People are just not the same. Everyone no. is different. I mean, in terms of age, in terms of abilities, in terms of interest, we are all different. And so, okay, obviously there's some universal laws like, you know, don't kill people or whatever. But from there on, you know, a rule like don't leave your house to me just seems, you know, completely out of order, you know. Uh, so obviously I do think one needs to consider individual circumstances before looking at what the best outcome could be. Yeah. yeah, but you do agree with me that traveling and, you know, sometimes leaving the, the this famous comfort zone is important. You know, like the comfort zone is the place where our dreams go to die. You know, it really is important to leave and, and, and try something once in a while. Yeah, and yet, Elizabeth, you know, most people don't leave their comfort zone. I mean, I think... It's very easy when you're surrounded by people like you and by other travelers to think that, yeah, this is normal. This is, uh, well, quote unquote normal. Well, this is how most people are. But where I live, so I live in a kind of sort of semi-rural Kent. When I walk around, I mean, I bet most people have never been abroad or if they have, it's to Benidorm and that's it. You know, uh, I, I don't think they ever think about leaving their comfort zone at all. And even if they do go to Benidorm, that is their comfort zone. It's just more people like them and a slightly different setting. So uh, I, I think it's important to remember that we as travelers are actually still a minority. And obviously, then you have the other half of the world or more who are people who don't have the ability to travel because they're from countries which are poor. And, and obviously, they have much more pressing things to solve than, than seeing the world. Yeah. Absolutely. We are very, very privileged and very blessed and um, should be realizing that and be grateful for it every day. The fact that we can go and, uh, you know, it's it's all about 
it's it's a personal decision how you want to live and what you want to do. And so asking you what is your next move? What is on on Harry Mitzi this uh menu travel menu? Ooh, lots. Well, to be honest, um, even though I said I did travel a lot during COVID, it still wasn't necessarily the trips I would have had without COVID. So now that that's sort of behind us, now I'm coming back to the real trip to traveling. Um, so yeah, my, my next trip is to Sierra Leone. Uh, I'm off on Sunday, uh, hopefully. And uh, yeah, I'm going to have a bit of an African trip just before Christmas. And then in January, I'm planning and a trip to India. Uh, where I was last in 2017. So, uh, you know, it's time to go back. Then uh, in early March, uh, we have a Nomad Mania gathering, what we call a conference in Panama, in Bocas del Toro, which is one of the nice archipelagos there. So there's going to be 30 of us there. And obviously, as part of that, I'm going to do a bit of Central and South America in um April, I plan to go back to the Pacific and visit uh, Tuvalu and Tonga for the second time, because one of my aims is to visit every country at least twice. And I'm only six countries off that. So uh, I'm hoping that in 2023, I will achieve that. So having visited every independent country at least twice. But, you know, if I don't, then... It's not that I'm rushing. It's just that then, then there'll be a different aim. You know, there's always, you know, the bar always needs to be set higher. So uh, that's that is definitely true. Amazing, amazing. And, you know, that's uh, that's a, that's definitely a, a small problem to have that you're only six countries behind visiting yeah. everyone. No, I, I am very, very conscious that these are... <laughs> First world problems, you know, I, I do try to ground myself, you know, when I read the news of what's going on in the world, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, this is my way of, uh, in a way, poking fun at life, you know, even these aims, they are, they are almost ridiculous. And I'm completely uh, aware of that. You know, I, I studied sociology. So perhaps more than most, I am very aware of the the planet and and you know s- politics and all of that you know it's something that really interests me so yeah. it's not as if I'm oblivious to that at all no but I think um by um traveling and connecting the world and understanding and showing respect to other people you do your part of for the world not you know it's it's um it, we can all participate and contribute by just being kind and kindness has no borders and it has no no uh color and nothing so um you're not doing anything wrong at all that's so nice to hear elizabeth this is exactly my philosophy you know be kind and uh i think my proof of that wasn't was actually in Sierra Leone where I'm going. So the first time I was in Sierra Leone, I learned the value of a dollar because uh, I was I was traveling in the middle of nowhere and and there was a river we needed to cross. So we were waiting for the barge and and on our side there was this village and these people came around to to look at this white guy because obviously the <laughs> that didn't happen every day and then i decided you know what i'm going to give these people a dollar because that that all i had really and and 
the joy that, I mean, they all just burst into dance and cheers. And, you know, it was like this massive positivity. And, and I thought, you know, it's not every day that you realize that $1 can bring that much happiness to that many people. But this is also so such a positive message in a way. You know, it's not about the money. It's about how people can be, be happy easily with with very little really just show them a bit of affection if you want yeah that's that's it yeah I think that's a beautiful end to this conversation and I think being happy yourself because you do travel and I definitely am very happy when I travel helps you spread happiness and that's what the world needs oh yeah yeah well especially now the world needs happiness yeah yeah and I think when when you're relatively privileged, then you have no excuse, you know, then you need to become this vessel of positivity for other people. So, you know, I do have my dark side and obviously we all do, but I do try to do that, especially when I'm traveling, you know, be as as good a person as I can. And always remember that uh, despite our seeming differences, this is what we all want. We all just want to be happy. This is global. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on Most Memorable Journeys, Harry Mitsidis. Thank you very much. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.